Hey, I'm Christian Schaff. Any questions? Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today was a wonderful conversation with one of the best men I know, Christian Schoff. And Christian just, he shares so many wonderful stories in this one that are entertaining, they're, they're inspirational, and, and, and you'll get a lot out of them. There's a lot to learn in each of these stories that he presents. And I think this is one that I think you can listen to and you'll feel pretty pumped afterward. The, the guy is just absolutely incredible. A lot of learning and a lot of just inspiration in this one. Before we go on, a little bit of housekeeping. I appreciate you so much for listening. I appreciate you for sharing. Those that are, you, that are sharing it on your social platforms really do me a huge favor, and I encourage you to do that. Help this show grow. I know I can't ask Christian every question. I try to do the my best I can. If you have follow-up questions, you can actually find Christian at anyquestion.com forward slash Christian Schorf. And when you go there, you'll be able to ask Christian any questions and and he'll be able to get back to them and answer those for you. You can also see a bunch of other great athletes, coaches, health experts across the platform, including people like Jan Ferdino, Lucy Charles Barclay, Nino Schurter and Kate Courtney and Yolanda Neff in the mountain biking world. Caleb Dressel and amongst others in the swimming world. There's so many swimmers on there now. So go check it out at anyquestion.com forward slash Christian Schorf. It's just an amazing platform where you can ask questions and listen to answers all across the board. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. I've had some of the world's greatest athletes, coaches, doctors, and sports scientists on the show, and I've enjoyed and learned so much from each and every one of them. But it's the entrepreneurs that I've had on that I've just learned and and just been inspired from probably the most. Their, Their willingness to just put it all on the line and go all in is just so inspirational. Anyway, my guest today is such a person. His journey to date is extraordinary, building several startups from apple cider to outdoor extreme event companies to survival gear to heading up a successful touring rock band. He's also led marketing campaigns for several large international brands, including Harley Davidson and and GoPro. And his newest venture is the Uncharted Supply Company. Uncharted, as quoted on their website, is gear to get you out there and all the way back back. Uncharted has exploded over the last few years and the business only started in November of 2016 and in 2017 the core product, the 72, was featured and kicked ass on the TV show Shark Tank. The 72 has been featured in the likes of Time, Outside Magazine, Popular Mechanics and the Wall Street Journal and customers have included the government organisations such as the CIA and the FBI as well as companies like Nike and Warner Brothers and Airbnb but more than all of that my guest today is just a good mate of mine and a mentor and just somebody that's been a great sounding board for me over the years so welcome and thanks for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show Christian Schorf how are you mate? I'm good man wow you did your homework I'm impressed <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny good. about this is uh 
you interviewed me on your podcast right. that you had going right when you started Uncharted. I don't know. What was that? 2017? Somewhere there. And it was really an inspiration for me to do my own podcast. Do you realize that? You said that and you've taken it a million times further than I ever did. I, um, <laughs> you know, for us, we, we were trying to figure out how to, how to sell product and we were like, let's advertise on podcasts. And we spent a lot of money doing it. It just wasn't very successful. And I thought, well, why don't I just do my own podcast and offer a promo code? And that actually was, was more profitable. But as things go, when you're starting a business and you have like, you know, two or three full-time employees, staying consistent was just impossible for me at the time. Uh, I'm glad I got you in because that was a great conversation. And um, I've always learned so much from you as well. But um, yeah, I'm glad you picked it up and, and have kept going because this is, this is way bigger than anything I was able to <laughs> Well, it's funny, you know, you were doing it for business. I was just doing it because I like to have conversations with people. Um, so <laughs> mine was a little bit more sustainable. My, my why factor is probably a little bit more sustainable. I just love having con- conversations with interesting people. Right. You've moved to Park City, right? The last couple of years. What's that move been like? Are you there now? Yeah, I'm in Park City right now. Uh, I'm originally from Wisconsin. Mm. After, uh, you know, growing up there, I was in Minneapolis for about eight or 10 years. And then, you know, moved to Southern California for a job for about four and a half years and just did not like that. And always wanted to be in the mountains. Really? I just always, mm. you know, we were talking earlier about how you're a how you're a uh, beach person that likes to visit the mountains. I'm probably the exact opposite. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a mountain person that likes to visit the beach, but I, I, I really love it out here. I mean, everything I love to do is, is a stone's throw away, whether it's hunting or mountain biking or fishing. I mean, there's, there's days I come home from work and I decide to go to the river and catch a few trout and that's my dinner. I mean, it's just, for me, that's, um, that's really special. And I, I really do love it out here. You really are like the, do you remember that show? Is it Grizzly Adams? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, can't, I can't grow a beard like that, man. No, I don't know. Your beard's pretty good, mate. I, I, I've, I was thinking about it as I prepared for this show going, he's like my ultimate outdoors man. He, you, you, you're that guy that can do everything, has done everything. Um, I'm always in awe of you. And I know I, I don't mean to embarrass you on this show, but it is that kind of, you are somebody, I don't know whether it's from growing up on a farm or there's some real strength about you and the outdoors and the survival. And we can go into this a bit later when we talk about your, your uncharted, you know, supply company that you've started, but you are that ultimate outdoors man. And, and, uh, I always look up to you in that sense going, whenever I have a question to do with anything outdoorsy, you're my (laughs) (laughs) go-to. Let's do this. I want you to rewind the clock and tell me basically how we got here. You mentioned growing up on the farms in Wisconsin. Let's take that clock all the way back and let's see if we can ride this wave to today, which um, it's been a hell of a ride. <laughs> it has been a, a, a wild ride. Um, yeah, I grew up on a farm in northern Wisconsin. You know, my family was not just, they weren't just farmers. We, we had a biodiesel plant. My great grandpa had started a, a company that you know, we had semis that would drive from our farm up to the northern edge of Minnesota on the Great Lakes and collect wood shavings from like the wood processing lumber plants and mm. sell that as animal bedding. So that business was going. We had like 5,000 acres of crops. My, I remember my grandpa once saying, you know, if, if your dad had 50 people at the farm, he'd find 51 jobs to do. Um, <laughs> that's, just, that's just how I grew up. There was just always something that could be better, something that could be improved. As much as like, I don't want to say I hated it, but, you know, I didn't get to play Little League. 
I, I, I didn't get to play with my friends. Mm. Um, I can remember one time my friends pulling into the yard with their boat. And they were going to the lake and said, jump in. And I had to bail hay all day. I mean, that was just, that was my life. And it was, I don't want to say I resented it, but it was, it's frustrating when you're in your teens and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but boy, did it, did it set the groundwork for kind mm. of how my brain works for the rest of my life. And I'm extremely thankful for that. Mm. Um, I don't know if anything replaces growing up on a farm and, you know, you're talking about outdoors and figuring things out. It's just, you know, when you're, when you're driving a tractor at five years old, field by yourself, I think it, <laughs> it programs you differently than a kid that's eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich watching Scooby-Doo, you know, you just, <laughs> you get confident, you, yeah, you get yeah. comfortable. And um, there hasn't been many things in my life where I was like, I can't do that. You know, mm. I, I really take pride in, anything that comes across my, my plate, I'm like, okay, I can, if I don't know how I can figure it out, you know, that was just, that was just a big part of it. There's a real hardness that you get in that, in those development years, you know, that, yeah. that translates to the rest of your life. I mean, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew up in a very disciplined all boy family where sport was everything. And if you're going to start something, you finish it and you give something, you, you know, you do your very, very best. And I'm always really appreciative for that sort of time in my life because I think that you always draw upon it as you as you do get older. And like you said, there's what's that quote actually? I'm I'm sort of referring. Is it Joe Rogan who said it? You know, hard times create well, hard geez. men. I uh, oh, I literally was going to use to get it to say that quote. And it's <laughs> then funny you finish it off. <laughs> I, have, I have been familiar with that quote for about a decade. Yeah. And I I mean, if you dig into my social media, I I have posted that quote years ago. And Joe did make it famous recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's not the, the originator of it, but, um, he started, you know, you see all these little like TikTok videos and stuff where mm -hmm. that's the background audio. And I'm like, man, I've been, I, that's been, that's been my guiding <laughs> statement for years, but I'm glad people are catching up. But yeah. It's uh, yeah. um, hard times. You can start, I think wherever you want, but hard times make hard men, hard men, uh, make, make easy times, easy times, make soft men, soft men make hard times, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember mm -hmm. sitting in Iraq and we'll get to that with a, with a, a general and he was, he drew a little kind of a, a sine wave on a piece of paper. And, you know, as the sine wave curved down to the bottom, this was like, man, five years ago, he's like, I think we're about right here, you know, about to bounce off the bottom. And it's basically saying the same thing. It's like, mm. that's just human condition is to go through those cycles. Life is unbelievably easy. It for is. society right now. And, you know, everybody, everybody's hardest thing they've ever done is the hardest thing they've ever done. Mm -hmm. And when that hard thing isn't that hard, I really think it affects so much. I've gotten to be friends with this guy, Michael Easter. Michael wrote a book called The Comfort Crisis. I, I would implore everyone listening to this right now to go read that book. But mm -hmm. I read it and I was like, this is all the things that I've inherently known that he put science behind. But it's, it's just about how comfort can ruin everything. Mm -hmm. And even finding struggle like of your own free will, not, you know, ending up in a hard thing, but, but struggling against something every day can just insanely improve your life. And you as a, as, as the athlete you are, and a lot of the people you've had on the show know that, you know, you just, you know how certain things can be so easy when you're so used to just thing, everything being hard, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like life doesn't seem that bad when, when you're always, when you're always in that mindset. So sorry, tangent, but um, yeah, that's the quote or something like that. And um, I'm all about it. tangents on this show and I, I love that. And, and I do think <laughs> one of the reasons we have an explosion in endurance sports and, um, you know, CrossFit and, you know, obstacle course racing, all of those kinds of things is I think people are desperately trying to 
harden themselves up a little bit because, I mean, it is, we are in the softest of times. I mean, we, we, we can get anything we want. We can, running water all the way through to shelter is, you know, is around and available um, more than it's ever been. And, and it's, I think we're looking to harden ourselves up a little bit. 100%. I, I always told people, like, I never understood the appeal of like a Tough mutter or a Spartan race until I lived in California. And then when I was in California, like the hardest thing I could do really was go for a road bike ride through, you know, through Malibu and up yeah. in the canyons and stuff and beat myself up. But I suddenly understood why people just wanted to feel dirty. They just wanted to like, like they, they're literally paying people to run through a farm field with cow crap and, and whatever else. You're like, I did that my whole life. Live. <laughs> right. Well, right. But I also realized how much I missed it once yeah. I was in an environment where I couldn't even I mean, I could go to the beach, but it's just, you know, sand. And it was so hard to find that feeling. And it was one of the things that made me move to Park City. I actually went on a very kind of aggressive elk hunt while I was living in Orange County. And I remember driving home thinking, uh, I can't live without that anymore. Like, I need that. That actually, I'm remembering what it feels like to feel alive. And this is after going to Iraq 40 times and growing up on a farm. It's just... I dropped into that Orange County existence where it's just always 75 and sunny and everything's comfortable. And it, it was unnerving. It was uncomfortable for me knowing what I knew. Isn't it, isn't it amazing the psyche that we, we can have that it, it, it's like the dream is to have 75 and comfortable. And then when you're there, it's like, hang on. No, I need the challenge. I need the struggle to feel alive, right? I mean, I need the, there's a purpose that you're missing suddenly. And uh, humans always kind of trend towards easy. I mean, historically, how often were we comfortable as cavemen? Like mm. maybe two hours once a month, you know, <laughs> we were always struggling, but, but you, you work towards that. And so now we're in a society where it's like, if I'm cold, I just push a button on my phone and my house gets warmer mm. and we don't, we don't face the struggle. I, you know, I do these, these big hunts, right. And I, I always think about this. I was on this moose hunt in British Columbia and it was, it was 20 below zero. We did 134 miles in about four days on foot chasing this one moose. And, you know, at the farthest out, I was, you know, just the, the shelter I had was basically my Gore-Tex jacket and puffy layers and whatever. And I remember getting back to my little one person tent that night and it feeling like absolute luxury, even though it was still 15 below zero and I was in a three season tent, you know, <laughs> freezing my butt off. And then you would go from the tent, you know, back to uh, the little hut where we had kind of started our hunt out of and there was a wood burning stove and oh my gosh, Greg, like that wood burning stove, like I felt like a billionaire, yeah. like, you know, just to be able to not have to wear six layers was, yeah. and then, and then you go from that and I get back to my truck and my truck has like heated seats. But, but when you don't do those things, the truck is just the truck, yeah. right? It's just, that's your, that's your like baseline. And so I love those experiences because it reminds you like how easy it is. And I think it's really important to be reminded and to be in those environments where it's hard. It's just that nobody really does it anymore. It, there's, it's a one word jumps out at me and it's perception, right? It's that ability to perceive something differently when you have a struggle or you have a scare or you have something that's an adversity that you've over, had to overcome. You then perceive life differently. You, I, I kind yeah. of think about it and I don't mean to draw it back to me, but this, this past year when our little daughter, you know, three-year-old gets bitten by a rattlesnake and we spent a week in, you know, intensive care hospital in, in Denver and, and it was, it was really, really scary. As a parent, it was just the worst time of my life. And 
coming out of that, it was like nothing mattered anymore. The, right. the, the, the little things that would have stressed me out before I had to, I had to fly to announce a race in um, Slovakia and realize that my US passport had expired on the Friday and I was leaving the following Tuesday. And I just shrugged my shoulders. I was like, oh, well, I'm probably not going. You know, and it was that whole thing of going, oh, well, whereas in the past, that would have really stressed me out. But here I'm five weeks, you know, of post my child coming out of hospital. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Maybe I'm not going. And, and that kind of scenario, those, those frights, those scares, the hard times can really change the way you perceive the world. 100%. I, I remember being in Iraq years ago, and this was before there was Wi-Fi on the bases. And I logged into Facebook in the like little computer room at this one big base we were at. And um, I, had, I had literally just like the hour before spent some time with some guys who had, had been blown up by a roadside bomb and, you know, they, their, their skin was, was melted and missing ears and missing legs. Mm-hmm. And they were like really positive, you know, they were kind of back to kind of visit the guys before they were heading out. And um, just an amazing story of just perseverance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it was like four of these guys and they were telling jokes and they were joking about not having an ear and you can't hear me and, you know, all this stuff. Right. And then I go into this computer lab and I get on Facebook and, um, this girl who I was a Facebook friend with, you know, wrote worst day ever. And I was like, Oh, what's this? And in the comments, somebody said, what, what's wrong? And she's like, we got to the lake and the boat's battery was dead and we couldn't ski, uh, for half, half the time we were at the cabin. <laughs> and I just like unfriended her, <laughs> logged out, and walked away. But, but what a, what a slap in the face of like contrast of like yeah. what your worst day ever is. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> and it, back to your point, it's just, it's just one of those things where like the more you get out there and the more you realize, the more you can appreciate mm-hmm. how, how good life is. And I, that really does guide a lot of how I think about everything. Mm. Day. You, you are somebody that seems to chase this feeling alive, you know, this, 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 whether it be hunting and you've mentioned, you know, going to Iraq, you, you, you're somebody that doesn't mind to put themselves in, in circumstances that could be volatile if things, you know, went the wrong way. I mean, tell, tell me a bit more about Iraq. What, what, what is that all about? Yeah, well, I'll say first, like one of my other favorite quotes is um, life is not a dress rehearsal. And I think about that a lot. Like when we were talking earlier, I I got a stomach bug over New Year's. I sat on the couch for two days and I felt like I was just missing my entire life because I didn't do anything for two days. Mm. When you have that mindset, I think you're just, you're all, I mean, you have a lot of FOMO for sure because you're always searching for like, how do I maximize the day? Like I shouldn't sleep in. There's, Mm -hmm. there's things I could be experiencing or things Mm -hmm. I could be achieving. And I think you have to keep that in check a little bit, but, um, it's definitely how I think about things. So, you know, you go to Iraq. I was, I was a musician for about 10 years. It, it started off very innocently. My brother and I and some friends started a little band in Northwest Wisconsin playing covers. And I just always said, Hey, as long as it keeps growing, I'll stick with it. Well, you know, a couple years in, suddenly we're, you know, we're working with Prince and, and his guys in <laughs> Minneapolis and we're touring. I think we ended up playing in 35 countries around the world. We did three albums. You know, most people have never heard of our band because we had record label offers, but they were straight up slavery contracts. And I had enough of an education and experience that we were able to make a business out of it without needing a record label. That was kind of a dangerous thing to sign. So, you know, we were okay with not being famous and we were getting to go and play shows and travel around. I mean, we, we did the national anthem at a, at a NASCAR race once. There's 176,000 people live on ESPN. And, you know, we played gigs in front of 50,000 and 90,000 and, they weren't all like that, but 
you know, we got to, we got to taste kind of the cool side of that mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. As I, as we were touring around in our crappy van and you pull into Chicago late at night and it's cold and set up and I was kind of getting disenchanted with it. I really, as you can tell now, I'm an outdoors person. I love the mornings, love being outside. And I was, I was spending a lot of time just in clubs and in cars. And um, we were at South by Southwest uh, doing a showcase playing and these guys with high and tight haircuts came up and said, Hey, would you guys be interested in playing for the troops overseas? And uh, we were just like, yeah, like that sounds great. And it was kind of around the time when I was thinking about maybe this isn't what I want to do much longer, but that opened up another kind of seven to 10 years of, of basically playing music and doing all this. So we went over on the first tour, played about 30 shows in two and a half weeks in Iraq, Kuwait, Bahrain, some other countries over there. In a conversation with Colonel Scott Rainey, who is the chief of programs at the time, he was explaining to me that there was about 330, 350 bases at the time during Operation Iraqi Freedom, and only about 30 of them were getting entertainment and getting bands. And the reason being is it was, it was too dangerous to convoy. So um, they, they couldn't drive anywhere, so they had to fly. Mm-hmm. And the military was renting these old speaker systems, these PA systems from this group in Kuwait. And these were these old like Motley Crue, huge speaker boxes. <laughs> so, so they could only take like a C-130 or C-17, which were very big airplanes and jets to these bases because they had so much gear. Well, we went home and as I said earlier, you know, working with, with, with the Prince team and all those guys, we had access to some really amazing sound engineers so my brother and I measured the inside of a Black Hawk helicopter out and we went home and we taped it off on the floor and said, we need to build a PA system that fits into this space. And we did that. And we called the, we, we went back and called the Pentagon and said, guys, I, I think we can hit those 300 bases. And uh, they were, they were like trusting enough to say, well, you guys come, you know, do the test pilot program. And if it works, we'll go from there. And, and it absolutely worked. And so for the next, you know, almost decade of my life, my brother and I were just flying to Iraq all the time. Uh, we, we ended up playing 150 shows, my band. Uh, we were named Armed Forces Entertainers of the Year. But then probably at a bigger, a larger scale, we, we started sending other groups. We'd send the Pussycat Dolls. We'd, we'd guide the Spin Doctors and Hoobastank around <laughs> Iraq and, you know, all, all those bands. I did a thing called Bikes Over Baghdad where we built skate parks and we took all the, all the X Games BMX riders and we'd do kind of stunt shows for the troops. And then we, then we leave the ramps and the bikes. So they had a skate park at the bases. And for like, you know, almost 10 years of my life, it was 39 trips of uh, two to four weeks every time. Um, I was flying to Iraq, you know, jumping out of Blackhawks, going between forward operating bases and joint security stations. And um, it was wild, man. I had my 30th birthday in Saddam's bedroom. What? They gave me that room. Yeah. For my birthday. Uh, and they found a cake that said happy 75th birthday. Somebody had made a cake and they found it. I mean, it wasn't 75, but it was just funny. I mean, we had surfaced air missile hit our airplane one night. I mean, we had sniper fire and we land at times had a car bomb knock me over once I got to drive tanks around. We got to shoot 50 cals. I mean, it's, it's like a movie I watched once when I look back at it and it was just, <laughs> did you ever feel threatened for your life? Like, I mean, you say you were you shot and I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I specifically remember one time we had been over once or twice and then we had signed kind of this big agreement with the DOD and with the Pentagon to, you know, bring over X amount of tours that year. And I remember we, um, we checked into this base and my brother and I were sharing a little, 
Connex. It's just, it's like a little tiny container, big enough for two little single beds, two little kind of chests and like a toilet and a sink, you know? Mm. And we were laying in there and for some reason ours didn't have the heat on. Turns out that morning, everybody else had heat and light, but we didn't, which made it a little more sinister. It was actually very cold that night. So we were having a hard time going to sleep and we were the last one on the edge of the base and there was a gunfight going on just on the other side. And we could hear explosions and gunfire and we could hear guys' voices. It felt like they were going to come knock on our door any second. And I mean, my brother and I were, we took our bulletproof jackets and like used them as a blanket. Cause I, I was like, I don't know if like something's going to drop and blow up or what's going to happen. And I remember Zach going, asking me, he's like, do you think, do you think we're going to live through this? And I, I said, I said, yeah, man, for sure. And I was laying there and I'm like, I have no idea, you know, <laughs> this is terrifying. Um, and I really thought I made a big mistake by signing up for this. Cause this was like the first of like 20 tours we agreed to. And that was one of the worst nights, but you know, you'd have these tours where it was absolutely boring and nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. And then you'd be standing there and all of a sudden a siren would go off and you needed to, to jump into a bunker as fast as you can. And, you know, some mortar round would hit somewhere nearby and, you know, you might hear shrapnel flying around. You might not. And you wait for the all clear and then just, you go back to work. And, um, I always kind of, kind of likened it to lightning striking, you know, when you were on the base, if it was your time, it was your time. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot you could do about it. Mm. You know, we saw it hit a few times. I've got some really funny pictures of us all under tables in the dining room, you know, with ice cream cones waiting for the all clear. Cause you know, bombs were falling and, um, wow. it was just wild, man. But again, you come back to the U S and, um, things feel just a, a little more chill so, after that. I mean, so. what is that feeling like? I mean, honestly, you're painting great pictures here of, of imagery that I can kind of see, but is there a deep-seated fear or is it just kind of like because you're with your brothers, you know, it's like the, you just kind of, is there a camaraderie that overtakes the fear and you just kind of get on with it? Or I don't know, I'm a, I'm a fairly anxious person as it is. Is it one of those things that you have to consciously control and make sure it doesn't get out of hand, that fear? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's one way to define this because different days you felt you felt different ways. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have a tattoo that it says fortune favors the bold. And then it has a Bible verse that, you know, I can do all things through Christ. And it's just, it's like, it was like a reminder that I was on a mission from God. I, when we really, when we signed up for it, I remember my mindset being, if those guys are all over there protecting our freedoms and serving our country, I don't have the right to say no. If I have the ability to go over and help, mm. you know, that was kind of it. It was like, I was asked to go. I and, you know, my group, my brother, we had the capabilities to, to make their lives better. You shouldn't say no. You should just say yes and you should go because it's, it's what you can do to, to, to leave your mark and to help, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was always, it was never a should we go or not. It was just a, oh, this is our path. Like this is what we've been called to do and we're going to go do it. That said, there were really scary moments. Man, I remember crying watching the movie uh, Lone Survivor. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen that, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, yeah. all of his buddies die and he's there by himself and he's so far from home. You know, I remember times where I was, I was not sure we were going to live through the night, you know, stuff was going off. And in those moments, kind of like you said with, with Sydney and with the snake bite, it's nothing else matters. Like you just kind of want to be home and mm-hmm. you just kind of want to be with what, what's really important in your life. And I'm thankful for those moments because I made it through, but it also really, um, there's a lot of clarity in those moments mm. and they can be scary. Um, and other times, you know, other times there was stuff going off and your mindset's a little different and it just kind of feels like you're on a, you're in a rodeo, you know, and you're hanging on <laughs> and it's kind of fun and you're kind of laughing about it. But 
Yeah, man, it's, it's a wide range of emotions. And I, you know, again, I, I was not in the service. I didn't serve. Um, I always tell people we were not cowboys, but I definitely feel like we were rodeo clowns. You know, we were kind of in the arena and trying to make people laugh, but, um, it yeah. was still scary. Yeah. It was really scary. Yeah. And, and you, you must've made some really fantastic relationships through that, that 10 year experience. Gosh, we met the most amazing people and, you know, more so than anything, it, it, the thing I realized, and it almost sounds kind of over-exaggerated when I say it here, but it's true. Like over and over, we'd hear people say, you know, for two hours, I, I forgot I was in Iraq. And gosh, I needed that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would get emails from, you know, wives that I didn't know that said, hey, I know you don't know me. My husband's been kind of down the dumps for a long time. And he just sent me a, like the most positive email he's had in months because you guys let him come up and and play a song on your guitar and and he sent me a bunch of pictures and I can't tell you how thankful I am. And mm. it's such a simple thing for us to do. But I, I think for those guys, it was, you know, at times it was powerful and it was, it was the little reprieve sometimes you need for a hard reset mm. and to kind of get through your, your mission or your, your time over there. So your deployment. So, um, yeah, man, it was, it was crazy. I could sit and make this whole show about this, uh, <laughs> uh mainly yeah. because I, I, you know, I appreciate what you've gone and done and obviously uh, appreciate all, all the men and women that are serving around the world for our freedom. So uh, we could spend the whole show on this, but I do want to move on. And um, You came back and you've taken this entrepreneurial mindset that you had, whether it be a band playing in Iraq or, or starting the Extreme Games, you know, BMX um, group that you took over there for shows. Mm-hmm. And then what was the next part of this journey? Because you, you, you took this sort of mindset and, and you continued on. Before we started with the Iraq stuff, I, um, you know, we had been touring as a band and uh, I ended up meeting a guy that was starting a hard apple cider company that mm. was called Crispin Cider. And before he started, you know, he came to me, I'd been helping him with some other projects with his other company. And he said, Hey, I, I'm starting this and I want you to come be employee number one. And I was like, yeah, sounds good. I think, you know, I think when you're kind of that post-college area, you just kind of take whatever job comes your way if it sounds exciting and you try to get close to mentors and you just, you just always say yes. And so, so Joe Heron and I, you know, worked out of his attic and, and built Crispin Cider. I kind of stepped away a little bit as I was going to Iraq a bunch. I helped, I helped where I could when I was home, but that ended up selling to Miller, Miller Coors, which was such a cool experience to just kind of start from day one and watch it quickly grow mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. sell. Um, and that was kind of like a, man, I, I want to do that at some point. Right. So, you know, we, while we were doing these tours, we started getting sponsors uh, more so just so we can make the shows better for the troops, Harley Davidson, GoPro, Fox racing groups like that would send over product and we would, you know, collect content and create videos and tell the stories. And um, it was really powerful. I remember Harley Davidson telling us that we were, we were kind of like the number one Harley Davidson dealer in the world for a couple months while we were doing a tour, meaning like, the sales we were driving uh, from the kind of the shows, the, the stuff we were talking about was like, was the, was at a clip that they hadn't seen. So that was, that was really cool. Uh, but I came back and, you know, I did more projects for those, more projects for those guys. Um, I had some friends at GoPro. We kind of did a few things together. And then I ended up taking a job uh, in Orange County, California for a fitness app company. Mm. I really thought the technology was interesting. It was, it was based on biofeedback. This was way before, you know, whoop and, and all of those, you know, you'd wear a Bluetooth heart rate monitor. It would, it would measure your zone and measure your cadence and take into consideration temperature and, and everything else. And then, uh, you'd have a, a coach's voice. I mean, I worked with, you know, Tim O'Donnell and Rinda Carfree. They'd record workouts and 
I'd go for a run and Rennie would be in my head yelling at me if I was going too slow or, or too fast. And, and they were, they, you know, they were really awesome. They were, it was really fun. And, um, you know, it was, it was some technology I really believed in, but the longer I was, I was there, the more I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. It was really hard going from flying around in Blackhawks and kind of having your life on the line to make people smile. And then suddenly being in a very white corner office in Orange County, California. I just, there was, there was a hole missing and I didn't feel like I was living life. And so I had, you know, I had this desire to figure out what was next. And, um, I actually was going to Steamboat Springs to go skiing one new year's and loaded up my F-150. And I was actually meeting Tim and Rennie out there, come to think of it and, uh, driving out. And there was two inches of snow in the mountains behind Orange County and traffic stopped for like eight hours. And I, I just sat there going, what, what kind of humans are these that can't navigate two inches of snow? Like, you know, this is, this is a big nothing for everybody. I've, I've been out around with military and farm and outdoors and it just kind of hit me. Wow. You know, what happens if there's an earthquake? What happens if there's whatever? And that kind of led me to starting Uncharted mm. that moment. And that was, I mean, let's talk about Uncharted because this has been a big thing in your life the last oh, yeah. five, six years. I remember when you started it, I don't know how, I mean, the first product you started was a, was a product called the 72. I think I mentioned it in the intro there. Did we buy it online or did we buy it directly from you? I can't remember how it was all set up there, but it was started <laughs> very granular, very, you know, almost like it was out of your, you know, your home office type thing. Let's talk about Uncharted because this has been amazing. Basically all your expertise, all your experience from and all your learning for the past 40 years of your life have come to this point and gone, this is why this product works and this is what it's about. Let's start with the why you just talked about it you know people sitting in a car for eight hours they can't drive through two inches of snow is that it or was is the why a bit bigger what is the why of uncharted supply yeah i get asked the why a lot when we meet with investors and journalists and i always say you know i i want to leave a legacy i want to make the world a better place i think being in iraq all those years and and seeing what a difference one person can make was really almost addicting and i'm trying to figure out how to do more of that Mm. That said, I'm also fully not Mother Teresa. I want to make some money and I want to be honest about that. I want to build a business that can afford me to go heli skiing or, you know, <laughs> to, to, to buy a, a cool triathlon bike or whatever, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I struggled for a long time trying to figure out what that was. And when the Uncharted idea kind of popped into my head, it was a very goosebumpy moment because to your point, like everything I'd done in my life kind of dovetailed into this idea. Mm. And generally I just, my hypothesis was, wow, you know, the world is quickly changing. And again, think this is five, six years ago before any of the stuff that's happened in the last couple of years was even on anyone's radar. But I, I kind of started looking at all the trends around natural disasters and population centers and, and global unrest and politics and everything was crescendoing. And at the same time, my personal experience was, you know, there were less people that grew up on a farm. Uh, you know, my kids aren't going to grow up on a farm. It's just, and I, I say that anecdotally, but it's like, we now have gone from kind of generalists, you know, my dad can do just about anything fairly well. <laughs> and now, now the best jobs are you do one very narrow thing, very, very at a very high level. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's great. And that's fine. It's just that 
You don't get the experiences of, of changing a, a flat in the middle of a field with just the tools around you. You don't get the experience of a storm coming in and knowing how to navigate it or interacting with, with animals or figuring out how to just problem solve. A lot of that stuff is really a skill that you have to learn, you have to work at, and you have to kind of experience and people just don't get it. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there going, wow, how do you create a product or a brand that could actually help people navigate those situations when, you know, I always say this, like they've never been outside before. And I know people have been outside, but the idea being when they don't have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's what informed the 72. I started working on something. I, I used my experience as a starting point and ran it up against my buddies who were guides on Mount Everest and who were special forces guides and who were doctors and surgeons and bush pilots and, and all these guys. And, um, when I got to, you know, I always said to them, Hey, I I don't want to know what you have for you. You're an expert. This is what you do. But like, would you be able to give this to your 10 year old son if you were across the country and know that that would be a game changer for them? You know, how do you make something effective and simple and not too heavy and not too big and not too overwhelming? Mm. And that was what informed the 72. And when I got to a place where, um, where it was ready to go, I I remember I was talking to Joe Heron, the guy that started the cider company and Mm -hmm. I was showing it to him and he goes, what are your sales? And I'm like, my sales. I'm like, I just, I just got this thing together. Like yesterday, he's like, if you don't have any sales, you don't have any business. He's like, why aren't you selling? And I'm like, uh, he's right. You know? So I, I quickly set up an Indiegogo, like a crowdfunding yeah, page and just turned it on. And I kind of didn't have much of a plan. I just turned it on and we ended up setting a, a record, you know, for sales. And I, um, I, you know, I said in the page, Hey, this will all ship before Christmas. And I, I was like, yeah, we'll probably sell like a hundred of these. And we ended up selling like 1500. <laughs> and so, you know, back to your point about, you know, just kind of, kind of kitting these things together. I had like an 800 square foot apartment in Santa Monica and I had to get like two storage spaces and literally UPS would drop off 50 boxes of paracord. I'd have to load them in my truck and drive them to the storage space and, you know, put most of them over there and bring five boxes into my house. And my house became an assembly line and it just kind of exploded on us and we were off to the races. So, so the 72, to give us a bit more on what that is so people can have an understanding. Sure. So it's called the 72 because statistically, and I, I, I've been trying to research to see if this has changed lately, but um, 95% of all survival situations, everything from a flat tire to September 11th, are resolved in 72 hours, meaning the Calvary has arrived in 72 hours. Mm. But what you do in those 72 hours is usually life or death and it's usually up to you. So the idea was, you know, I'm living at the time of living in California. Everybody has small apartments. Nobody's building a bunker. Nobody has $10,000 in food stores in some downstairs thing. There's, there's not the room. There's not the money. People just weren't interested in that. But, but wow, if for 95% of the situations, I could build something small that would get them through, that to me seemed really compelling. Right. Mm. So we end up with this, this backpack. It's a dry bag. It weighs 11 and a half pounds. It's six by 12 by 18. And, um, inside it, screen printed instructions, color coordinated pockets, basically everything you needed. So when your adrenaline spiking and there's an emergency, you could open that thing up and make your situation better quickly. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of the goal, right? It's for most people, they don't understand the adrenaline spike that happens when you're in a, 
an emergency situation. You haven't been there before. And that's usually the biggest problem, overcoming that, because you're not thinking clearly, you're making quick, rash decisions. And a lot of times you're making a bad situation worse. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like you open this thing up, color coordinated, you know, the, the first aid pocket in there is a bunch of pockets, it's bright red. If you need first aid, you can eliminate everything else and focus on that. And that's that's a good decision. And now you're starting to trend in the right direction. And hopefully that's getting your heart rate to slow down a little. It's, it's getting you calm. It's helping you think and helping you out of the situation. So that's how we started. And now, you know, we have a ton of products and um, they all kind of follow that same mentality. Mm -hmm. It's like very simple, very effective, very high quality, you know, designed. So if you are super compromised, it can still get you out of a situation. It comes into that prevention mindset, doesn't it? It's like we often talk in sport about preventing the body from, injury this is kind of yeah. being prepared i don't like to use that word too much in this space because preppers kind of get a, a bit of a strange name to them but it is about being prepared for the unknown because until you have that moment of where your heart rate variability becomes very tight it doesn't move your, your sympathetic nervous system is through the roof and you know you're just going fight or flight it is very right. hard to make conscious good decisions right it, it, it's funny because you don't realize it. I, I had my experience and again, I'm going to bring it back to me again this year with, with Sydney getting bitten by that rattlesnake. And I got a phone call from Laura because I wasn't with Laura, poor thing. She was on her own with Sydney and, and Archer, our little guy. I picked up the phone and her face is on the, the FaceTime and she just says, Sydney's been bitten by a rattlesnake. Oh. Get to the hospital or something. It was something very, and I was waiting to pick up friends at Denver airport. So I was just sitting there and I was like, okay, go. Right. So I started driving. I actually started driving. I'm going down the 470 highway completely in the wrong direction. And uh, because she was being flown by helicopter to Denver from, from Boulder, I was going the wrong direction. I actually pulled over to the side and just, and just said, okay, breathe. And, and first thing I did, just started breathing. The breathing exercises took me, they were just amazing, right? I just did it for like one minute. Yep. Didn't look at phone, didn't do anything. I just breathe. Then I was like, okay. And, and, and suddenly I started making conscious discipline decisions, but it was that moment of that fight or flight that I hadn't experienced in a long time anyway, that you, you don't realize that your body's going to react in such a way. Um, and so this preventative side of things that you're trying to do is say, Hey, look, get it, put these products in the right places. You know, I, I think, yep. I think one of the mistakes we did with our 72, it was downstairs in the basement and it's like, well, what good is that? We need to have it in a place where we can use it. And, right. um, and so there's an education component, I guess, that you need with these products as well and telling people where they, where they should have them for yep. the future, right? Um, that must be a huge part of what you're doing. Yeah, we're, we're doing more and more education all the time. And you know, to your point, I know this is you know, a heavily triathlon podcast. I, not always, I not be, always. <laughs> well, there's, but there's probably a lot of those guys listening, at least a lot of guys that cycle or a lot of like guys and girls that mm -hmm. ride bikes. And, you know, just imagine you're in the race of your life and, and you get a flat and just think of the emotions that you felt when you go through that. Right. And, and compare that to when you get a flat, when you're in a group ride, you get a group ride, you pull over, Hey guys, I got a flat. I, you know, just calm, change the tire back on the road. When you're in a race, it's like, think how many times you flub something or you're screwed up and you're probably <laughs> doing them both at the same speed. It's just one's way calmer. Yeah. And, and now take that analogy and put it like life or death, mm. right? And think about the adrenaline that hits your body. It's that kind of experience that, you know, I always tell people, Hey, you don't want your first football game to be the Super Bowl. Like 
you know, when it comes to survival, like you want to go out and, and try these things. Like, can you start a fire? Can you build a tourniquet? Can you like, whatever it is. And you know, that's a big part of why I do what I do all the time, because I think you want to be ready. I mean, last, last winter, my dog almost died. Uh, I was ski touring up in the mountains and with some friends and my buddy and my dog collided and they cut his, he cut his front arm or his front leg with the ski and was hemorrhaging blood miles and miles from a vet. And it was, it was shocking uh, how my training just came in and, and took over. And I was able to get a tourniquet on him, bandage him up, throw him my shoulders. I had one friend figure out which vet was open. It was a Saturday afternoon, make sure they stay open. Send one guy down to get the snowmobile. He'd never been in a snowmobile. I had two walkie talkies, take one, call me when you get there. And man, we got my dog to the vet and the vet came out after an hour of surgery and said, you know, he, he had two or three minutes left and that was it. And, um, the fact that I had the gear with that I was able to do this and the fact that I'd been through this so many times saved my best friend's life, you mm-hmm. know? And so those are just, man, those are, those are powerful moments when you start to realize how quickly things can go the wrong direction on just an innocent ski day. Um, and like with Sydney, you know, he started, started heading the wrong direction. Then you, you calmed yourself down. And I, I would bet a lot of money that all of that experience and calming yourself down came from, from being competitive and putting yourself in tough situations and thinking through, I know you, you know, you think through everything. And it's funny how even just the triathlon application applied to you getting to your daughter Mm. in the time you needed to. It's powerful to me. It's, it's really interesting and really valuable. This is part of the reason I've been really looking forward to putting you on the app that I'm involved with, with any question, because not only do I, are you on this podcast for your business savvy and your entrepreneurial skills, but I really think you could be a great teacher and educator to others on on this um, exactly what we're talking about because you need to go out and practice these things. You know, are you running courses? Do you out of Uncharted Supply Company in in, in Utah? Do you guys run courses for us to come and do? Do you do anything like that? We, it's in the it's in the pipeline for this year. We've we've okay. been delayed given COVID and everything else, yeah. and the demand we've had for products. Our our attention really is just turned to like trying to get gear out the door to people. But it's definitely on our short list of things this year. You're going to see a lot more content from us. Uh, classes, you know, educational opportunities. And it's, yeah, but, but even if we're not doing it, there's a lot of that out there, you mm. know, whether it's a, a survival class or a first aid class or a AVI one or whatever, man, I can't recommend enough to have people just, you know, take that Saturday afternoon and go do that. It, yeah. it could be life or death. Definitely the first aid. My brother went through that with his daughter in a swimming pool because he's a teacher. He had to have done his, you know, his recess and, uh, he, uh, she was gone for about 10 minutes and he, he actually kept her alive. And, uh, yeah, it's a scary, horrific story, but she's all healthy or fine. But it was like, uh, that was when I heard that it was like, okay, Laura, you and I, let's sign ourselves up for these first aid resource courses and stay, you know, keep up to date. And I mean, that's just at a very basic level, but mate, I'll come out to park city and I'll do one of your courses. quick mini break i encourage you to go check out any question you can use anyquestion.com forward slash christian and go to any question and you can ask questions to any of the experts on the platform you can listen to all of their answers you can go ask christian any questions following up from this podcast that you might have and he'll get back to you and answer those for you there shark tank tell me 
how did that all come about? And I, like I said in the intro, you guys, you did amazing on it and you, and you really kicked ass and, but there's more to it all, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's always more to it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, when I started Uncharted, I was still doing all these military tours and, um, you know, some of the BMX guys had pretty big, pretty big careers. The one guy, Mike Escamilla, who I just saw uh, two nights ago in Las Vegas, I was out there for a trade show. Mike, uh, he's been on LA Inc. Uh, he was a pro BMXer. You know, he's had action figures and custom shoes and um, he's a stunt man. He's been in all the Marvel movies. And um, if you ever watch Paul Blart Mall Cop when he's in the Rainforest Cafe and he shoots that scuba tank at the guy, that's, that's Mike that gets hit with a scuba tank. So, you know, Mike's got, a, Mike's got an agent and he knows a bunch of people. And, you know, we get going on this and we were talking and I, I watched every episode of Shark Tank while I was building Uncharted because it's just it was just great to have in the background. Every time they'd ask a question about a business, I thought about how I would answer that. That really helped me kind of focus on what was important when I was starting. Um, but Mike, you know, I said, Hey, we got to get a shark tank. And, um, Mike was, you know, helping me with some things and was able to leverage his agent to get a call with a casting director. And she just, she got on a call with us and said, yeah, nice to meet you guys. Listen, send a tape in and I promise to watch it. That's all I can really promise you. You know, I have to be pretty even and fair about all this. So, so Mike and I built the craziest audition tape, I think in the history of the world, I, I got to dig it up somewhere, <laughs> but we made fun of the sharks and we, you know, we did, you know, the, the walking out, we had an intro where we're walking out and we just keep getting lost. It's like, we're just in this endless walk with the music playing. And then it was just, it was funny. It was really funny and it got their attention and I think, you know, I think the submission process, it's been a while now. I think, I think from when we applied to when we were actually filming was eight months, something like that. It was, oh, wow. it was a long, long process. There were three or four rounds of, you know, here's a ton of paperwork, background checks, financial records. Wow. Uh, you know, they wanted to make sure they weren't pulling somebody on that had some, some bad stuff happening in the background. <laughs> we had to film a couple different times here in Utah and send the tape in and, and gosh, and then they invite us out to Culver City and we're supposed to film on a Sunday and they call us on Friday afternoon and say, you're going tomorrow morning. And um, <laughs> it, it was, I, I swear they were just trying to keep you on your toes. Yeah. You know, I mean, the day we went into film, we got there at like four in the morning and we're just, we have to sit in this little trailer. And um, they're like, yeah, we'll probably have you out at like 8 a.m. do makeup. You'll probably be in by 9.30, you know, 2 p.m. We're still just sitting there. Oh. And then they're like, ooh, you know, these tapings of, I've taken a while. We might have you go home. And I'm like, so come back tomorrow. They're like, no, we might have you come back in a few months. You know, we don't know what will happen, but you'll probably just go back to Utah. And we didn't get to you. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, after months of preparing oh my God. And, and we're sitting here talking about this and they come in, they're like, oh, these guys wrapped up. You're next. Let's go. So I went from like, I think I'm flying home to some lady, you know, putting makeup on my face and like, hurry up, you're in next. And then we get into the green room and they're miking us up and, and Mike starts to like go through his lines and he's kind of freaking out and we're sitting there and, and they're like, oh, well, the sharks might have lunch after dinner after this, you know, they have to stop at a certain time. These guys are actually taking longer. So actually you might just go home. And I'm like, oh gosh, oh so now God. we're going home. And then, and then just like before, Oh, they're done. You go, go stand over, you know, that, that hallway you walk in, like, we'll stand here. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. And it was just, I remember standing there. I look at Mike, I'm like, you ready? And he's like, uh, yeah. And he's just, he's like looking at his hand. He had notes on his hand. They're like smudged. She's like looking at him trying to remember. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, they really want to keep you on your toes. Right. So oh. we walked in and, um, I think we were in the tank quote unquote for like an hour and I think our segment was about five minutes, five or six minutes. So 
a lot of conversation goes on. Mm. We had a lot of great conversation, a lot of stuff I wish they would have shown in the show. But, you know, our strategy, I, <laughs> you talk about company valuation, you know what your sales are, you know what multiples are in your industry, and you kind of figure out what's good. And we had this valuation we felt really good about. And then that morning sitting in the trailer, I, I was like, wait a minute, why? Like, it, it made me realize what I wanted to do is I wanted the sharks to fight over us. You know, if we got to TV, I wanted them all wanting a piece of it because my perspective was people at home are probably not doing the math, paying attention more than if the sharks like it, it must be a good product. Mm -hmm. It must be cool. Mm -hmm. And so we slashed our valuation by like three quarters. You wow. know, I was like, let's go in there and just offer a crazy deal based on what our sales are. And let's be humble about it. And let's try to get the sharks fighting with each other over us and, and kind of shift how this goes. That's awesome. And yeah. And that's what we did. We went in and they were like, what are your sales? And that's what you're asking for. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And so, you know, they became this bit of a, a fight and, you know, Mark Cuban was, he's like, you don't need anybody. You guys are killing it. Like, I'm like, I don't want to take a cut of your business. You guys got this. I like to help people that need help. And, you know, it was just, there was a lot of fun stuff that happened in the end. We, um, we agreed to twice the valuation with, with Robert Herzvec on the show. Uh, you know, that's, that's like speed dating. And then you have your kind of due diligence process afterwards. We yeah, never did right. a deal after the show. And we ended up taking an investment from a different group for five times the valuation that we had agreed to in Shark Tank. Oh, so you don't have to take the deal on Shark Tank. It's just kind of a, a show. Um, yeah. You know, I've signed NDAs around this. So I have to be kind of careful. Oh, 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 okay. But it's, yeah. it's very, it's, you know, what I'll tell you is, is, you agree to something in principle and then both sides have a due diligence right. process they go through to make sure it all makes sense. Of and, course. um, in that process, uh, uh, the Hertz of that group was, was, you know, interested in changing what things looked like. And at that point, you know, the deal didn't work for us and we just didn't reach an agreement. Gotcha. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know anybody else's deal. I would assume that probably happens a lot. I don't know how those guys, what is a season 18 or something? Let's say they each bring on 10 companies a season, there's no way any, any incubator could, could no. support 150, 180 companies. Right. So I'm assuming there's a lot of that, you know, but, but that said, we were entertaining enough that, uh, we were in episode one of season nine and gosh, what a, what a shot in the arm for a country company. It mm -hmm. just, it, it gave us so much exposure. And I remember that night we made, we, we had almost a million dollars in sales and in, in that, like, you know, 48 hour period from when Shark Tank aired. Well, I remember that actually, because I, I think we'd already bought our 72 and I knew, and wasn't, you, you recorded like months before, before it came out and you couldn't tell us anything, right? right? Is that what happened? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think we recorded like June and it aired in September. It was something like that. And we, we just had to keep our mouth shut. We couldn't tell people if we'd recorded or not, if we'd been in or not. And, um, we didn't know until, you know, maybe a couple of weeks before if we were even going to be on air. Yeah. It was nerve wracking and exciting. What a great marketing thing though, you know, more than anything, right? Rather than getting the deal, just getting on the show must've been huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a, it was a game changer for us and I'm so thankful for it. It was, it was really a lot of fun, a yeah. lot of fun. It's fun to be in there and, you know, those guys play games. They all talk at the same time. They all demand your attention at the same time. They, they try to un you know, kind of rattle you a little and makes better you know, TV, mate. makes better TV. <laughs> exactly. And, and Mike said it all the time. He's like, you have to remember they're trying to make a TV show first. Yes. And he was so right. You know, so we went in there and, you know, we had, we said stuff that we didn't tell them we were going to say that kind of threw them for a loop. And we, we were trying to mess with them back and it made really good TV. And it was, it was really fun. No, that was awesome. I remember watching it. That was so cool. 
you know, since then, I guess about a year or, or two years after that, we, we hit the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. March, April of 2020, none of us knew what was going on. You know, the information coming out was like the world was going to end. For If you'd listened to, you know, CNN or whatever, it was like every day the world was about to explode. Uh, how did that affect your business, I guess, on that end, people wanting survival packs, if you like, to your actual business of actually being able to get product and get it out to people. I mean, it must have been a a bit of a crazy time. Uh, Yeah, I always tell people it was bittersweet because Mm. we could have sold probably five times what we did. That said, our company doubled in a year, doubled in, you know, it doubled in a year where we didn't have inventory for half a year. Yeah, Um, It was just the demand for survival kits and air masks. And I mean, there was a panic for mm. sure. Mm. We did our best to manage it. We went out and raised some money very quickly, tried to get more inventory in as much as we could. I, I spent a lot of my life trying to source high quality N95 air masks. I mean, just out of service. Like we didn't even, um, we didn't even take a, make a penny on them. We were just trying to get them in to get them to our customers and try to be helpful given that that's what we do as a business. It was really fun. Actually, we've included N99, which is a step up from N95 air masks since day one with all of our survival kits. So it was really fun to send an email out to all of our customers and say, Hey, while you're all looking for air masks, you've got one one. (laughs) um, with multiple filters. And, you know, we, we thought about this stuff and, you know, that was, that was a proud moment for me because a lot of times people, when we were starting the company would say, gosh, why are you, this is too expensive of stuff. You know, your margins aren't big enough. It's people don't need a really nice mask. They just need something cheap to check the box. And I was like, no, no, no. If I'm going to, if I'm going to put my name on this, it's going to have to save a life if it needs to. Mm. And it was very, it was, it was just exciting to be able to tell people, Hey, you know, you've got one. Mm. And, um, so, you know, it was just, it was a wild time and we were trying to figure it out. Businesses were shutting down. We moved our entire operation, all of our warehousing to a warehouse where they were, uh, shipping essential goods. So we would remain open. Um, you know, there was just, there was so much entrepreneurial action happening during that time and just trying to figure out where to get inventory and how to keep the doors open and how to keep people safe and healthy. And to your point, nobody knew what was going to happen. I mean, I, I actually thought maybe I'd get an extra elk season that year because the whole world was going to shut down and <laughs> grocery stores would be closed and this might be fun. I might go just go elk hunting in uh, my backyard. And, only you, know, you. only you would go, <laughs> hang on, this could work out really well. We're going to have to go to full survival mode. Now, now I'm Not in my element. I was excited. I was excited. I'm kind of bummed it never came to that even for a week. But yeah. uh, it sounds like you made really quick, decisive decisions during that time as well. Right. I mean, it's kind of like we got to get this right. This is we're in the survival business. People are, are fearful for their lives right now. Right. And, and one of the crazy things that was happening was, you know, people were asking us a ton of questions. The best way to answer that is a, a YouTube video or a blog. And at the same time, you know, YouTube as an organization, if you were if you were saying anything that they didn't like, they would block you and shut you down. So it was, mm. it was like, um, you know, it's like one of those uh, heist movies where there's a bunch of lasers, you know, in the museum and you're trying to like yeah. carefully navigate your way over to the, to the Mona Lisa. Um, you know, people were asking, we were trying to give good information and as much as we knew and not be a, a purveyor of false information or anything like that. It just, it was a wild time all the way around, but yeah, mm. you had to make quick decisions. You had to be quick to admit if something was wrong or if information was changing. And, um, gosh, I mean, it's amazing how many people were, were upset with us and how many people thought we were 
lifesavers yeah. all at the same time for the same stuff. But you know, that's what we signed up for and, and we, we had to do it. You survived. You've done, you've done Literally. pretty well out of it. And I saw recently you've transitioned from just being online, you're now in retail stores, right? Around the US or is that globally or, or what's that look like? Yeah. So last year we opened about 230 stores. So a lot of hook and bullet, uh, Bass Pro, Cabela's, Sportsman's, mm-hmm. Shields. We've got uh, probably four or five other big retailers that are coming on the next couple of months. I probably shouldn't announce yet in case something happens, but of course, yeah. really big, really big companies. Um, you know, we sell through online retailers like Backcountry and Huckberry and, and guys like that. And, um, you know, it's been interesting. We were strictly through our website for four years. And one of the challenges, of course, is, you know, you're down in Florida. Oh, geez, there's a hurricane hitting in two days. <laughs> I need to get some gear. Yeah. Well, are you going to trust that UPS is going to deliver in two days? Yeah. Or are you going to drive, you know, to whatever store 45 minutes away and try to get your supplies there? Mm-hmm. So for us, it makes a lot of sense to try to get our products around the country and have them accessible to people. Um, it also does really well for our brand because, man, it's really hard to show the value in an, in an Instagram photo of everything that's in the kit. But when you can go touch it and feel it and feel the weight of it and see the products, it, it starts to make sense as to why it's as expensive as it is versus other products. Mm. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of success there and I'm, I'm hoping that continues to go and we continue to grow and kind of keep working to make the world a better place. No, it's fantastic, mate. Do you have a favorite product that you got that you guys have put out recently that you kind of like, ah, oh, we, we've nailed that one? Gosh, we... Um, the new ones are always my favorite because they're exciting and they're new. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, one of my favorite things to give people is we have this battery jump starter we call the Zeus mm-hmm. and uh, yes. it's, it's, it's pretty small. I don't know how to compare it to size. You know, it's about, it's about as long as a, a, a banana, but like a little, a little rectangle. And that thing will start up to an eight liter diesel in the dead of winter when your battery's dead and it'll charge your devices and it has a flashlight on it. And it's, it's relatively inexpensive. And you just think how much you depend on your car and how dangerous it can be when you're somewhere by yourself and you left a dome light on and now you can't get out and there's no cell service. And People love that product, and that's been one of our top sellers forever. Um, and it's just one of those things I think I everybody. Need, I need to get have. one of the. I don't have a Zeus yet. I got to get the Zeus. Uh, no. we're, we're sold out right now, but I will. I will get you one when they come <laughs> in. Um, we just can't keep them in stock. We've yeah. got yeah. And then the microchip issue is a big problem yeah. getting more of those. But we did just release a couple of new products that would probably be interesting to this audience. One is kind of a weatherproof first aid kit with a Molly backer for like for boats and for ATVs and that kind of a thing. But we just won gear of the show at Outdoor Retailer in Denver last summer with what we're calling the, the Wolf Pack. And it's a dog collar with a first aid kit built into it. Uh, very small, but kind of taking inspiration from those old St. Bernards that had the yeah. brandy or the whiskey yeah. around their neck. Yeah. But it's it's a very small kit designed to keep your dog safe from cuts and bites and scrapes and whatever they come in contact with. And um, there's nothing like that out there. And that's, that's a really cool product. And then we, we came out with what we call the park pack, which is a new hip pack. And we actually worked a long time on this. Um, I like the idea of hip packs. I've never found one that, that fits very well. They're always flopping. They're always yeah. catching on your mountain bike seat when you're going to stand up, yeah. uh, the cables falling down. We built a kit that just, you forget you have it on. It doesn't flop. Um, it's got a bunch of kind of modularity to it. You can take the water bottle holders off and you could put a bear spray canister or, or a pistol or fly fishing. You were building a bunch of accessories. It's got a first aid kit built into it. Um, it's got straps to take your, you know, if you have a light jacket on in the morning, take it off and bundle it up. The straps also work to kind of secure the load so that it doesn't flop around. 
Uh, when I was testing this thing, um, you know, I would go out and run the mountains with my dog and I've got dog, you know, water for my dog and me and a little set of binoculars. I look for, look for animals and my phone and, and you just, you forget you have it on. It's, yeah. it's an amazing kid. If, if I was to look it up, what's it called? It's called the park pack and they're literally arriving this week. So, so yeah, go check that thing out. It's, park it's pack. way better than a running vest. Um, it's the best hip, hip pack in the market. And I'm really excited about this because I think this is going to be something that, gets us out of the survival space a little bit and just gets us into people kind of using our stuff on more of on a daily basis. And then having that first aid kit included in it is going to be just a great piece of coverage for when you're, when you fall or bang into something or whatever. Listening to these products is, is getting me thinking and, and you build great products that are, are strong and are going to last. And it leads me to my next question, which is how do you retain somebody that loves your products if they've just they're just going to buy it once and be gone is it how do you have a like can you do a subscription model or or anything like that i'm wondering kind of long term you have quickly identified the biggest problem we have with our company (laughs) i spend (laughs) it's only because i'm in the tech space now and you know we look at subscription models and all sorts of things so just my head's there yeah so um that's one of our biggest problems is uh you know, almost five-star reviews across the board on our products, but a significant uh, percentage of our customers are one-time buyers because they, they buy and it, it lasts. It doesn't break down. And I'm really proud of that, but it's also not the best thing for business. So, you know, back to the hip pack and things like that, we're trying to create things that people are just going to use more and it's going to be more social. So they, you know, their friends see it and then they buy and we can maybe lower our cost of acquiring a customer. Hmm. Um, we hmm. are working on subscriptions around, Hey, your batteries are about to expire. Your food's about to expire. Like let's, yeah. you know, let's refresh that. And, and we're working on those types of things, but that is, um, our biggest challenge we're working to solve right now. And I think, yeah, that's good for the customer knowing that like our products just last forever. It's a, it's an investment that you can, you can count on, but from a business side, um, that's what we need to figure out is how do we, how do we create a subscription around this? How yeah. do we create content that's interesting and refreshes and all that stuff? Yeah, and, um, it is one of those things that you, you know, you want, obviously your customers are happy. I know we're very happy with everything that we've purchased and it's kind of like, yeah, but once I've got it, how do we keep coming back? So that, I, I like that that could be a future discussion. I like to think of, of what that could be. I have one question for you because I know there's been a couple of hiccups. And this comes from the entrepreneurial kind of way of looking at things, employing people, employing the right people and trying to avoid the wrong. What kind of people are you looking at when you're employing at um, Uncharted? Gosh, you know, I've, I've stumbled on that many times. I've hired friends who have absolutely failed me and stolen and everything else. And then I've hired people that I just thought were on a whim that ended up being some of our best employees. You know, our, Mm. our longest tenured employee here at Uncharted is a girl named Kate Sear who answered a a classified ad. We were looking for a social media manager and she's like, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) And she's just a go-getter. And, um, she's a, a huge, huge part of our company now, you know, three or four years later. And there were a lot of times it was just me and her grinding. And I'm so thankful that like, she stuck with it. And I never would have thought, you know, a person just walking in off a classified would have been, Mm. would have been that person. At the same time, I never thought close friends would have done what they, what they did behind my back. So 
Gosh, you know, any more, and I'm not an expert on this. This is probably a conversation for someone else, but <laughs> what I've, what I've begun to do is, is kind of walk before we run with anybody. Mm. If people want to work with you bad enough and they're the right person, give them a, give them a way to win. That's a, a short-term thing. You know, we hired a sales guy recently and for six months we're like, Hey, we'll just pay you a commission and yeah. go find it. And he landed a couple really big accounts and it's like, okay, Let's go full time, you know, and yeah. I was willing to commit more then. But if somebody comes in and says they can sell and you hire them and six months in, they haven't sold anything. You've lost a lot of resources, a lot of investment, a lot of time. So, so for me anymore, it's, it's, um, it's kind of testing the waters before you fully jump in with people. And I get that that might not be the best answer for everyone, but it's, that's kind of how I've been approaching it lately. And it's been Oh, no, working I, much better than, than taking somebody at, at face value and, and learning six or eight months later that it wasn't the right decision. Well, I think that's coming from the work from home culture that we've, we've got now too, that you actually can have a little bit more of that contractual type work or that commission-based yeah. work where you don't have to employ full-time, part-time. You can actually look at results and then and then look at a, a full-time position. I think it's a good way to, to do it. Right. What about, have you had any kind of massive failures or setbacks and what have you learned from those, I guess? Have you got any examples there that, that you've been able to learn and grow from? Oh, I mean, there's been, there's any entrepreneur will tell you there's a ton of setbacks. And if they don't, they're absolutely lying to you. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, um, it's a roller coaster, isn't it? <laughs> I, you know, I always say we're like Lewis and Clarking this thing. Uh, not only is, is the survival space, you know, when we started, it's like if you wanted to buy a survival kit, you went to an army surplus store, you went in the back, and there's some dusty old backpack with a bunch of junk in it. I mean, when we started this, there was no blueprint. Mm. People told us it wouldn't work. You know, people won't spend $75. How are you going to sell something for 350? And I, I believe that we could and, and we did, but it, there's a lot of figuring out. Um, you know, hiring people, uh, product development. You know, we made a few products that just haven't, haven't sold as well. We've had other ones that we underestimated and, you know, those are both problems, right? <laughs> there's so much that can happen. The one thing that's popping into my head is, you know, we, oh gosh, we're suddenly going to be in retail, right? We don't even have hang tags on our bags. We just have always been direct to consumer. You put the, the bag in a box and you ship it to somebody. So we made, I have one sitting right here. We made those little hang tags and we were really proud of these little hang tags. I'm like, yeah, this is going to sell for sure. Our sell through was horrible at these stores. You know, people didn't, the, the, the companies didn't know where to hang them. Do we hang them next to the hiking backpacks or do we hang them next to first aid or in the camping section? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they would just sit there and nobody would take the time to grab the tag and look at it. So we had like a 17% sell through our first couple of months in a lot of these big stores and we were at the risk of being kicked out and then you never get back in. So we designed these big boxes that the kits go in and they're these glossy, you know, screen printed all the way around and suddenly our sell through like quadrupled. Wow. Just, so there's, there's just constant learning. Yeah. I, you know, I think you have to check your ego at the door. <laughs> you have to just be like, Hey, we're just going to figure this out. If we make a mistake, you have to fail fast and you have to move on. And, um, it, it's endless, man. I mean, when you're, when you're really doing something that hasn't really been done before, or you haven't done before, it's just, it's an MBA times 10, yeah. you know, you just have to like, you just have to have the, you know, the, the, the learning mindset and, and be humble about it and just, just continually look for a better solution. Yeah. And that's the only way forward. It's a great answer. I've been fortunate, you know, in sport, I surrounded myself with, with fantastic people. And, and now I'm kind of more in this entrepreneurial business world. I, 
I feel like I've got yourself and my business partner Ed Baker as as great mentors. Who who, who are you using, and or do you have mentors to help sort of guide you along the way? Yeah, I've, I have been really lucky. Um, you know, earlier I alluded to the the hard apple cider. Uh, mm-hmm. company and Joe Heron. And, you know, early on, Joe was a big mentor and he was a mentor in a very unique way. He, he had a bunch of one-liners that I still, like, I should almost just tattoo them on my body because they kind of frame up how much I, you know, how I think about things every day. I, I remember him once saying, you know, how do you find a needle in a haystack? Put more needles in the haystack, you know, <laughs> or, or he just, he was, he always had this interesting different angle at things. And, mm-hmm. um, I love a brain know, like that. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a dozen of those that I, I live by. You know, this thing where he's like, if you don't have any sales, you don't have a business. Like, what are you doing? And I, I thought I was moving pretty quick, but the lesson was move faster. And um, so that's been, you know, that's been something I've leaned on for a long time. Todd Ballard works with us right now. Todd was the CMO at GoPro. Um, he was a guy that I, you know, used to go to with projects when I was growing up and he had faith in me. And and now it's it's humbling to have him on the team and helping guide us, you know, when we were doing retail and talking about POP displays, you know, everybody knows those big GoPro screens in a store and he helped us build a similar thing for Uncharted and, and kind of navigate different things. And he's been really helpful. Mike Duffner is our CFO. Mike has been the CFO of Reynolds Cycling, DPS Skis, a lot of experience in the outdoor space. And, you know, Mike and I kind of tag team every day. We, we, I'm kind of the creative idea guy and he's kind of the execution guy and I would be totally lost without him. So, you know, I just, I'm always surrounding myself with, pe- myself with people that uh, I look up to. I just came back from a trade show in Las Vegas and I, I you know, I was meeting with a guy named Vic Keller. Vic uh, owns several companies, just sold a bunch of automotive businesses to Berkshire Hathaway. And, you know, I was pretty interested in Uncharted and, you know, maybe, maybe coming in in a, some kind of capacity. And for me, it's, it's even less about maybe the investment or whatever and more exciting just to, just yeah. to have the idea of like having that brain thinking about our company. Absolutely. So, you know, I think my job is not to be the, the Oracle of answers. My job is to find the people with the answers exactly. and to keep bringing them in. And, and that's how I never be the it. smartest guy in the room. <laughs> nope, a, I rarely am. <laughs> you think in product development and you want to employ someone in product development, you don't want to be employing yourself. You want to be employing somebody better than you. And I, there's been a lot of that kind of learning. If I was to get a job at uncharted, not that I'm asking, Do you guys have it where I kind of think of this outdoorsy, you're in Park City, are you all outdoorsy people, adventurous? Do you make a a Wednesday lunchtime hike or is is that the kind of work culture you guys have? What is it like there? Yeah, so our our office is right in the heart of Park City. Uh, The rail trail is 50 feet outside our door, which is which is the old railroad bed actually. And, um, you know, right where they connected the East and the West years ago. So there's this huge dirt trail that goes right out and there's, there's mountains right in front of us. Um, I, I have really worked hard to create a culture that's a little different than a normal job. And, (laughs) you know, historically it didn't work very well because I had people that would take advantage of it, but we have a really great team now. And if it's, if it's snowing and it's a powder day, you know, we have them text and communicate. And if somebody's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go ski this morning. I'm like, good, go. Mm-hmm. I just, I tell, you know, they know that I expect them to see emails at seven or eight o'clock at night because they took the time off in the morning. So I've really tried to make everybody own what they're responsible for. And if they want to go and do something, they should go do it. I mean, I, I really don't believe in, 
working five sevenths of your life and yeah. from eight o'clock to five o'clock and you should be really effective then. And then you can turn it off and do something else. Like human body doesn't work that way. At least mine doesn't. No. And you can't control, you know, when the storms are going to come in or when the, when the fishing's good or whatever. So <laughs> I, I just tell people, Hey, you know, get the work done and go have fun. Yeah. And if, if the work starts to not get done, then we're going to have a conversation, but we've really tried to build that. And I would say our team, you know, that's one of the other challenges we have is all of our imagery ends up being kind of white Utah outdoorsy people. And it's something we really have to work at is like bringing, cause our products work for anybody, right? How do you mm. bring in um, the mom in an urban area or, or whatever. And mm. so, you know, it's something we are cognizant about making sure there's uh, a strong female voice and there's an urban voice and there's, it's not just kind of drinking the Kool-Aid yeah, and building yeah. stuff exactly for who we are because the opportunity is much bigger than that. But, I like um, that. But yeah, that's our situation. Fantastic, mate. Well, this has been unreal. What's next for you guys then? You've moved into retail. You're trying to get product in. And I mean, everybody's trying to get product in, it seems, at the moment. But, yep. you know, what what's next for you personally and also for Uncharted? Gosh, you know, um, I'm 41 and single at some point. We talk, we joke about this all the time. <laughs> is this an advertisement? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right now. I didn't mean it that way, but for, on the personal Everybody, level, 41 single outdoorsman, one of the best men yeah. I know available. Hit him up on Instagram. There you go. Yeah, I'm, I would like to have a family at some point on a personal level. On the, on the professional level, uh, this takes all my time, and mm. I think it should. And I feel like we are on the path to really build something big here. So new products, partnerships. Uh, more retail stores, you know, just, just growing the business, trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to be better every day and how to keep the team excited and inspired. And um, I really, you know, I really feel like this will be my life's work when it's all said and done. And I think if we, if we can sell a million, five million kits, we've, we've made the world a safer place. Mm-hmm. We've, we've, you know, created the opportunity for people to not only take care of themselves, but maybe help a friend or a neighbor in need. And when you start doing that at scale, that's a big mission and that's really exciting. So I, I'm in no rush to get out of this. You know, I'm hoping that as we grow, it, it allows for more interesting experiences for, for all of us involved and, and bigger opportunities, but that's, we're in the grind right now right, and it's, yeah. it's hard, but it's rewarding. And, and that's kind of, that's my life. Well, mate, this has been fantastic. Your passion your stories, um, all that you're doing, always it, it's always coming from the right place. And I think that's just something that we can all learn from, mate. So it's just been absolutely brilliant to just spend this time and sit. And I know we, we often do catch up during the year, but yeah. this one I wanted to record and um, let everybody else hear what an extraordinary person, man you are. I'm just glad we didn't get into, uh, you know, the bike rides you and I have gone on or specifically that one, uh, with Rennie's baby shower where we all had way too much to drink. We're a little hungover, weren't we? A little hungover. And then you guys took me straight up. Is it left-hand Canyon or is that I it? think we and went up Lee Hill with no warm up, just straight up Lee Hill, the steepest sort of yeah. mountain there and then straight onto left-hand Canyon. And you and Tim, mm. I mean, it's, I always tell people if you've seen Jumanji when the herd runs through and there's that one fat rhino about five seconds later every time that's how i feel hanging out with you guys so uh i had a i had a brief triathlon you know i did probably 10 races when i was living in california and man that's fun but you guys are 
you guys are something else. It's uh, we're, it's always, it's all always, past tense for me now, mate. You, <laughs> I'd be you now on that. I'm, not, I'm the, what do you I call it? A fat rhino out the back, whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, mate, that'll uh, be me. Well, Christian, mate, just thanks for coming on and sharing all those stories. It was really fantastic. You mate. bet. Thanks, Greg. All right, and thanks everybody for listening. Um, you can go check out a uh, ask uh, Christian some questions if you want at anyquestion.com forward slash Christian Schorf and he'll be there. You'll answer some questions for us, won't you, there every now and then? Yep. People will yep. find you yeah, there. Yeah, they can find me there. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've got all my Instagram and stuff. Usually it's just my name or the company. You should be able to find us. So, Perfect. yeah, I'm diving into any questions and just uh, hit me up. Happy to be of service. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.